Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I was just simply saying that uh, we're proud to be here, very pleased and honored to be here uh, on this night of Passover. This is Passover night. And uh, as I tell my church many times when it's Christmas time, uh, when we come to church, we celebrate Christmas every time we're here. As Christians following him, we celebrate the birth of Christ literally every service, every day that we walk with him. And so therefore, uh, at this time of Easter, the time we celebrate resurrection, it's the same. We, we celebrate that every day of our lives. We would not be here if it was not for Calvary and the cross and the resurrection. And so uh, very thankful for those of you that have joined us that are outside of our congregation. Uh, so just a quick word about tonight. I'm not going to keep you too long in the word. Uh, I do have a message for you tonight. I'm excited to share. Uh, but uh, for those of us in our congregation and any of you that would like to join with us, if it's so appropriate, uh, we're going to be conducting a virtual communion service after uh, I am through speaking. And so uh, you're welcome to stay with us during that because we will have a time of prayer and, and worship and altar call time after that point. So uh, our congregants have been uh, directed to uh, try to find some form of... Uh, of uh, unleavened bread, soda cracker, uh, communion wafer, uh, whatever you can, and some juice at home and prepare that. And you might be able to see here under my lectern, I have mine all ready to go. And so with that word, I'm going to have our folks in the house here tonight. There are seven of us, I believe, eight of us. We're within distance and legal limits. And uh, um, I'm going to have them be seated here this evening as I'm going to go on into the Word. So I'm going to just teach a little bit tonight, if that's okay. Uh, um, tonight, uh, we, we, we celebrate and we represent, um, I'm, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the time period that's happening uh, in, in biblical history at this moment, uh, at this time in Jerusalem, uh, coming up to the time of resurrection. Last week, of course, I spoke on Palm Sunday about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and what he was preparing for and the work that he did at that time. And so this, uh, tonight, I'd like to title my message, uh, Don't Forget the Hyssop. Don't forget the hyssop. Um, I know many of you are probably already in preparation or, or perhaps you're going to start tomorrow sometime, uh, certainly uh, maybe Sunday morning, throwing something in the oven, preparing that very special meal that we put together. Everybody has their own favorite ingredients. Uh, some, of us, uh, some of us do turkeys, some of us do hams, not the people in Israel, of course, uh, but, uh, or, or that favorite food that you have, those favorite sides that you like, uh, that mom makes or grandma made, uh, and all those special ingredients ingredients that make that dinner very, very extra special. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about an ingredient I think it's going to be important that we always remember to include in our Easter Sunday time, and that is hyssop. Now, what is hyssop? Hyssop is an herb. It's, a, it's an herb uh, specifically in the mint family, and it was known at the time to be uh, uh, something of a cleansing factor. It was medicinal. It was used in flavoring uh, things, but it was very prolific in the Middle East, and it was used in, in, in a variety of ways. Uh, hyssop is also very important symbolically in Scripture. When the Israelites marked their doorposts with the lamb's blood, in order for the angel of death to pass over them, God had instructed them to use a bunch of hyssop as a paintbrush. 
So this is the Passover evening. It's Egypt. Uh, the Israelites are still in uh, captivity. Uh, Moses has been uh, pleading with Pharaoh and the, the plagues had come and this is the, the eve of the final plague, the final judgment from God uh, in order to free the Israelites. And so... God instructs uh, the leadership, Moses and the people of Israel, to go into their homes, and isn't that funny where we are right now, to go into their homes and to stay there. And they're instructed that in order to follow this process that there is going to be a death angel that passes over all of Egypt. And so they're given very specific instructions on what they're supposed to do that evening. And one of the primary instructions that they're given is they're to sacrifice a perfect lamb a perfect lamb, and they'll have the opportunity to, to eat that lamb as their dinner that evening, and that's now currently or commonly known now as what we call the Seder dinner, S-E-D-E-R, Seder dinner, that's observed by the Jews. And so they were instructed to kill this lamb and save its blood. They were instructed to, to uh, bake unleavened bread, and the reason for that is, is they didn't have time to bake up a bunch of bread and put the yeast in it and let it rise and do all that, so it takes many hours and hours, and so they were being told, now hear me now, they were being told that you have to be ready at a moment's notice. We don't know when this is going to happen. There was no time frame given, so they didn't have time to put yeast in their bread. In the Bible, yeast is a sim uh, symbolic of sin. Egypt is a symbolic gesture, a symbolic representation of, of sin in the word of God or living in the world, living separate from God. And so the Egyptians, or excuse me, the Israelites needing to leave Egypt was symbolic of that transfer, that time when they had to stop living under that rule, under the world and, and become a follower of God, a follower of Christ. It's, it's symbolic of today. It's a mirror of the New Testament. And so they couldn't put leaven in the bread and that's why when we have our communion service, Services, we used unleavened bread and so forth. They did also at the time of Jesus' Passover meal. And so what happened was, as they, as they sacrificed that perfect lamb, obviously the type and shadow, the symbol of what was to be eventually our perfect lamb, our savior, Jesus Christ, they were to take that blood and they would take a bunch of this hyssop. It's a stocky, uh, minty herb, as I said. It's very sturdy. And, in, and it's said to be perhaps grow four or five feet tall, a very long, stocky type of, a, of an herb that grew everywhere. It said in, in the word it says in 1 Kings that it, sp it springs out of the walls. In other words, it can grow in some pretty harsh conditions and kind of like to grow in the walls of, of, of structures. And so they were to take a bunch of this hyssop and to dip that in the blood of the lamb. And they were to go outside of their homes and on the lintels and the doorposts they were to place and, and paint, literally paint the blood on there. Hyssop was used essentially, a bunch of it was used as a paintbrush. In Exodus chapter 12 and 22, we have the exact uh, uh, the instruction there, and it says this in 12 and 22, and ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out at that door of his house until the morning. Boy, oh boy, is that interesting how that's aligning with where we are today and the circumstances that we're under today. Do you know that I've actually seen where people have taken uh, red cloths and, or ribbons and different things like that and put it over the, the door lintels and the posts of their homes right now? 
symbolizing that they're recognizing a divine protection from God during this time of the COVID crisis. And so they took that hyssop and they applied that there. And see now, in the understanding, of course, and it's important to know, this was probably because hyssop was so sturdy and it could withstand the brushing, but it also likely signified that God was marking his people as pure, not as targets of the judgment God was about to deal out to the Egyptians. In other words, you know, it could have been very simple. I mean, uh, when God sent the death angel over Egypt, you ever think of it this way? When he sent the death angel over Egypt, he could have just simply done some form of a godly highlighter uh, on, on every Israelite's home. Just said, don't, don't take the firstborn son out of that home. God didn't have to, he could have just simply protected them, couldn't he? But there was significance and there was a reason why they took that action. It was their steps. It was what they needed to do to make sure that they were marked as purified. And so I, wanna, I want you to focus on that purifying aspect of hyssop. Now, uh, we see it again, and it's in Scripture several times. It's referenced there. It's very significant. Uh, in uh, Psalm 51 and 7, David, uh, the great King David, repenting after Nathan the prophet had called on him and brought him in to the, to the chamber and gave him this story of the man who'd taken the, the poor man's lamb and killed it and, and, and for his own and, and, and he identifies David as the sinner. Of course he was referring to his sin with Bathsheba and, uh, and David is now in, 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 in agonizing repentance in, in Psalm 51 and 7 he says cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. That whiter than snow comment how many times have we seen that? It's a direct reference. It's a type and shadow again of the part in scripture and revelation we talked about in past messages where our robes, our adornment needs to be dipped in the blood and washed and whiter than snow. It's a direct correlation to that and David probably didn't even know or understand that he was even uh, shadowing that for the future. David does not refer to a cleanse, cleanse, excuse me, a physical cleansing here. He's specifically talking about a spiritual cleansing. He, he sinned and he did wrong and was repenting before God. In John chapter 19, verses 14 through 16, we see what's called the preparation day. The crowd is rejecting Jesus before Pilate and as Pilate is sentencing him to death. It says this, it says, now it was the preparation day of the Passover. Understand that there was a time before that. Now many believe that to be what has traditionally been called Monday Thursday or a morning day of Thursday, preparing for the Passover day on Friday. There is controversy. There are some people that believe that perhaps this actually happened on Wednesday and that there was a three-day period between the time that he was taken uh, from the garden to the time of the crucifixion, and then three days, of course, for him to build up the temple again from Friday to Sunday. However, it says now, it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king, uh, but they cried out, this is, this is Pilate speaking, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, have, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to be uh, with them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. Now, I'm going to jump a little bit around uh, uh, on these sequence of events, but I'll keep you with me. Uh, I'm making a point here that I think is very, very critical. And so, 
we see that uh, the, G- the Jews had completely rejected him. The same people, just a week ago, as he strode into Jerusalem, riding on the back of the donkey triumphantly as they, as they laid the palm fronds before him and worshipped him and, sa- and sang Hosanna. These same people stood in this crowd and they called for his crucifixion and said, we don't have a king. This was an iniquity of the Jewish people. From the very beginning, when God, God guided the Jews, God was prepared for his people to be their king and to be their God, and, and they rejected him, and, and God provided them judges and prophets, and they said, no, we want a king, we want a king. You remember that from scripture? They constantly called out for a king, but they wanted a human king. For some reason, they just had to have that one person, and of course, we know through scriptural history, that process didn't go very well for them. Most of the kings of Israel were wicked and did wicked things and God brought judgment on Israel because of that. And guess what? Here they are again calling for a human king. We want to be uh, Caesar is our king. And isn't it interesting that Caesar had them in captivity. Caesar had them under control. The Israelites were not autonomous. They did not have their own government or their own place. So we see that on the preparation day, is when he is being, ca- being called out and judged. Now, in Matthew chapter 26, and I'm reading from uh, the, the ESV version, Matthew, Matthew chapter 26 and 42, uh, this is where Jesus is going into the garden. Okay, so this is after the time of the Passover supper when he'd gotten together with, with the disciples and had the supper. He announced uh, that there's a, there's a betrayer among us and the one who sops with me is the one who... Uh, who, who is my betrayer, and of course they're all confused, and not me, Lord, say it's not me. What I find interesting, and what many people have found interesting is, is why is it that once it was very clear that Judas was the guy that stopped with him, was sitting right there with him, nobody said anything. It was almost like they were lulled into this sort of uh, malaise, or some sort of haze of misunderstanding, or perhaps because Jesus needed Judas to be able to go on and do what he was going to do to execute this mission, uh, something came over the rest of the disciples, and they weren't alerted to the fact they could have surrendered, they could have got him right there. They could have jumped on Judas, and well, that's his betrayer, we're not going to let him do it. But that's not what they did, and I believe that perhaps Jesus made it so that there was just no understanding in their minds at the time. And of course, Judas was able to go on and do his terrible deed. And of course he did. He went to the, to the chief priests and, and he betrayed our Lord. And uh, so later, however, Jesus is in the garden, Matthew 26 and 42, and he says, now these are interesting words. My father, if it not be possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Therefore, it's safe to conclude that the cup or, or, or that sour wine that we're going to talk about in just a minute, that, that wine that he drank, perhaps that cup was representative of something, the symbolic cup that he was talking about. And uh, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Now, in uh, uh, John chapter 19 and 28, uh, this is the... the, the the fact that Jesus' uh, last act before he declared his works on earth and he finished up and he gave the spirit, uh, um, when he was preparing for this. Now we know in the garden, uh, it says in the garden that uh, as he was praying and he prayed this, God take this off of me, take this wrath off of me. He said, if it be your will, I don't want to suffer this. Now of course we know that in his flesh, 
in the flesh that he robed himself in, that is uh, primarily uh, his flesh speaking out. He didn't want to go through it, just like you and I, knowing that this thing would come. Uh, he, was, he was speaking out in his flesh, but of course in his spirit, he knew what his plan was. He knew what the destination was. Now, um, it's, I think it's important to understand as, as we're looking forward to uh, the crucifixion point, um, we can't, I want to be very careful that we can't uh, skip through things. We can't not recognize that there's some key sim- symbolic issues there. And, and so in uh, um, that particular next phase in John 19, 28 through 30, uh, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Uh, uh, you can go back and reference it in the moment. But uh, as I said, it was his last act before he was to um, turn himself over and, and before, they, uh, before he was uh, taken in the garden as Judas, had, his betrayal had worked. And uh, 27, Matthew 27, 40, uh, 46 through 49, it says in about the ninth hour, excuse me, I'm sorry, I jumped to the wrong spot there. Um, let me take a step back. We're at the time of the crucifixion. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, they said he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and they took a sponge and they filled it with sour wine. Now, there's different references to that depending on which one of the gospels that you look at, whether it be John or Matthew. Uh, uh, he looks, uh, they, they dip it in this wine. Now, this wine was not the original. When he was first coming to the cross, they tried to give him wine mixed with something they called in the word gall, which is believed to be the herb myrrh. And uh, they believe that that was done because the, the, the act of, of the process that he went through, the, the scourging and the, the crown of thorns and being nailed to the cross and all of the horrible things, nails through the wrists and through the feet, uh, what they would do is they would try to give them a little something to numb that a little bit. They, were, they would try to be a little merciful to them and provide that. Now, that was the first when he first got there and was first placed on Golgotha. Now, at this point, however, he's, he's crying out. They think he's calling for Elijah and they think he's, he's really suffering now, which of course he is. And so what they did is they took a sponge and they filled it with sour wine and it says they put it in Matthew, they said they put it on a reed. Now, in the other gospels, in the gospel of John, as I was referencing a moment ago, what they did is they, because it grows so frequently and so prevalently, they grabbed a bunch of hyssop. And a hyssop reed, as I said, can be four or five, six feet tall. And so amazingly, at this point, on this place called the place of the skull, that's what Golgotha or Calvary means, uh, a stony, rocky place outside the city, uh, still able to, to reach and find and grab a bunch of this hyssop. Now, Jesus is up on the cross. We don't know specifically uh, how high up in the air he was, but we do know this, that in tradition, what they would do is when they crucified someone, Uh, and they died and passed away there, they would leave them hanging on the cross and they would allow the birds and predators and other animals to come and take them. And I know that's very graphic and and it's kind of gross, but that's, that's essentially how they were. And so 
the, 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 the difficulty that they had here is that the Roman rulership and the, and the chief leaders uh, did not want that to happen. They didn't want it to, to him to be left there uh, because they were on the Sabbath. Tomorrow, Saturday, to the Jews is the Sabbath. It's a holy day. And so they were trying to get through this whole process and get it done uh, before they started to edge into the time of the Sabbath. That would be a very, very poor uh, uh, event to happen. And so let me get you now back to, I'm sorry, I skipped before, I got a little turned around. Uh, John chapter 19, 28, 20 uh, through 30 says that this wasn't, uh, basically he's telling us this was in fact the last act, as I said before, he declared his work on earth and he finished and gave up the spirit. So he's crying out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Again, his flesh is crying out and, uh, and, and he was about to give up the spirit. And while the hyssop stalk may have been used purely for practical purposes at that point. Like I said, they needed something to get that wine up to them. This is a sour wine that would sit nearby. Now, where did that come from? It wasn't the wine mixed with gall for the numbing purpose. It was actually brought by the Roman soldiers. And so they, they would sit there and do these crucifixions. Well, it would take all day long for someone to die in this manner. It was a horrible, horrible, torturous death. One of the worst things I, I think humanity could do to another person. And so someone ran and dipped of this, uh, this sponge in this sour wine and gave it to him. But it just so happened that the, the, this particular plant, the hyssop plant, that plant that represents purification, the, the, the plant that represents uh, so much more than just grabbing a, bu- a bush and, 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 and handing him this uh, this wine. And so they grab it. The plant was chosen. And it's possible that God meant this uh, really specifically as a picture of purification. In other words, that wine, perhaps that wine that they dipped in represented that cup that he spoke of, that, that cup that was being handed to him. Well, what was that cup? He just literally, Jesus hanging on the cross, it, understand, not only did he take on all the sin of the world, that existed prior but could exist to come that we have the opportunity to seek him for and ask forgiveness for. He not only took all of that sin on, but he became sin. The Bible says that he became sin. So he was in this process. He was about to give up the ghost, in other words, die. Well, he can't enter into the kingdom of heaven and sin. The Bible says that, right? Even Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. It would not be a proper representation of his own word, his own command. So Jesus at this point had become sin. And I believe that perhaps that cup that he was talking about in the garden of Gethsemane, God, let this cup pass for me. Perhaps that cup was, was symbolic of that wine that was put on that sponge for him uh, to be handed and, and to give him some relief. By this time, he's probably desperately thirsty, hurting in such excruciating, extraordinary pain, parched lips and tongue, gasping for breath, his flesh crying out for some relief. And on a hyssop rod, or a reed of hyssop, that sponge is attached and it's handed to him. And so at that same moment, the cup that, that he asked God perhaps to pass on comes to him. That's the cup of God's wrath, the cup of all of that sin and everything. And also the purification of the hyssop. I think it's symbolic there. We can't forget the hyssop. Don't forget that ingredient, that purification aspect, the hyssop that was dipped in the blood of the lamb to cover the doorposts. It's the blood of the lamb that purifies us from sin. 
It is possible, of course, uh, excuse me, that, that uh, 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 God did specifically mean that for that purpose. As I said, just as in the Old Testament, blood and hyssop were purifying the defiled person uh, in the case of if they touched a dead body, uh, that blood and that, uh, from, uh, from a dove or from a, a sacrificial animal dipped in the hyssop purified that animal as well, or that person as well. And uh, uh, Jesus shed blood is symbolic there. Basically, the hyssop branch is the means by which the blood uh, in the sacrifice was transferred from the sin, basically from the sinner and purified. Jesus in his sacrifice had become sin and it needed to be cleansed. Now he could share the wine at the marriage supper of the lamb when the church is called home because at that last supper, at that Passover supper, we're gonna show in just a moment, he basically says, as we're breaking the bread, and we'll go through that process here together in just a moment, but as he's breaking that bread and, and, and he's, he's, he's divvying out that, that fruit of the vine, he says, after this, I'm not gonna partake of it anymore until I can be with you again. And we know, of course, in, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, when it comes time for the church to gather together, I'll reference it here in just a moment, but that time in Revelation when God calls his church back, the purified church, those of us who've dipped our vestures in the blood of the lamb, we've become white as snow, as the Bible says. Through the baptism process, those of us who have partaken of that are gonna be called up with the lamb. And then it will be the marriage supper of the lamb and Jesus can drink of that fruit of the vine again. In other words, that marriage supper will have that bread and we'll have that wine and we'll commune with them again. That's why we're directed, he directed us to do this in remembrance of him. In other words, to live it and to remember and look forward to that time when we can do it again. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. The word says in, in, uh, further in Matthew, excuse me, in John, it says after this, knowing that everything had now been accomplished and to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I'm giving you a different portion of the, uh, of the same gospel, the synoptic gospel message, the way he said it in, in John. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in the wine, put it on a stalk of hyssop, and lifted it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he yielded up his spirit. He died. And as I mentioned to you uh, last week in my message on uh, the triumphant ride in, when Jesus passed away at that moment, the veil that was in the temple, 60 foot tall, the width of a hand's man thick, colored purple and red and white and blue, representing Jesus' flesh, the flesh of, of, God, uh, the flesh of God manifest in the flesh, was separating everyone else from the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. That's where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where they poured the blood of the sacrifices. Only one man, the one high priest, could ever enter that place. And when Jesus died on the cross at that very moment, at that very moment, that whole veil from top to bottom was completely rent in two. And the message there was simply this, is that my presence and my spirit, my relationship is available to everyone. Everyone can enter in. As we sang tonight, very aptly put, enter in into the holy place. In Luke chapter 22, and I'm gonna be closing now with these scriptures as we go to our communion elements. In Luke chapter 22, uh, starting at verse seven, and I'm gonna skip down to verse 14, it says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread. Now we're back at the time of the communion, the Passover. I told you I was gonna jump around just a little bit. 
I wanted to get that across. I wanted the, the, the understanding of the purification process, that, that ingredient of the hyssop. In Luke 22 and 7, then came that day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Again, this was the time in ancient Egypt when they killed the lamb, put the blood on the doorsteps. Well, here we are today in Jerusalem. The Passover meal is ready. The day that he was uh, uh, to gather with the disciples one more time and uh, um, commune this one last time. Verse 14, it says, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And that was the moment I told before. Revelation 19 and 9 is that reference. And it says in 19 and 9, Revelation, he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. It's exactly what Jesus was referring to. I'm not gonna eat again. In other words, I'm going to die. I won't be with you in body any longer. I will not eat again until we can dine together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, coming up very shortly, I've mentioned this a couple of times, I'm going to be doing a small series on the Jewish wedding tradition, the Jewish marriage tradition. It's a very significant understanding that there are specific steps and things that are modeled in Jesus' word that are drawn directly from Jewish tradition in the marriage structure, uh, the marriage process, the wedding process. And so I I hope you can join me for that. It's a, a very interesting study. I've spent some time on it. I've gathered quite a bit from some other excellent ministers and, and teachers uh, over the years, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that to you. Folks, this, this time of, of resurrection, this time of, of the Passover, is a time to recognize that there is a salvation message built in all of this. That purification in the Old Testament, in Exodus, purifying uh, through sacrifice, through David asking to be purified of his sin, and, and on into the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, that hyssop, that purification, uh, the hyssop representing a, a, a place that we have to be, a, a step that we have to take in purification is so clearly critical. Uh, so we're going to gather together for just a moment here, and uh, we're going to take just a moment Uh, Normally, when we're together in the church, we take some time, perhaps we greet one another, share a couple of moments with one another. Um, This is a really important time uh, to examine yourself, and and, uh, if there be sin in your life right now, something that is unresolved, uh, before you take your communion time, it's important uh, to really focus on God, purify yourself, empty your heart, and uh, 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 just speak to him if there's things that you need to clear up. If there's someone you need to call tomorrow, uh, an issue that you need to make right, something's wrong between you and another person or another situation, uh, it's important that you continue living daily in repentance, living daily, uh, uh, keeping that, that ingredient of hyssop in your life. In other words, that purification, the blood of the lamb. The Bible says that when we're baptized in Jesus' name, we, we take on his name. Where Our old uh, man is, is buried with him in baptism and we rise a new person. We are essentially resurrected. On Sunday morning, I'm gonna talk to you about the resurrection and how you partic- particularly take part of the resurrection. How you as a Christian, how I as a Christian am supposed to take part of the, rec- uh, the resurrection every day of our lives. God, we're so very thankful that we have the privilege 
that we can come before you, Lord, frail and weak, susceptible to temptation, mistakes, error, satisfying our own flesh, stepping sometimes into sin, Lord. But God, we're thankful, Lord, that we can come to you before you. Pour those things out, God, asking your forgiveness, knowing that you'll put them under the blood to be blotted out, never again to be thought of, offering us forgiveness. God, thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice that you've made. Thank you, God, that we can join together with you. We feel your presence in the house this very moment. Thank you for mercy and grace where we don't deserve it, Lord. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. They sat down together at the table. Most of them probably not entirely aware, really understanding everything about what was about to happen, certainly not the depth of what was about to happen before his crucifixion. In Luke chapter 22, and verse, starting at verse 17, it says... He took the cup and he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given to you. This do in remembrance of me. Thank you God for the sacrifice on Calvary. Thank you God for the sacrifice of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Verse 20 says, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we so appreciate again the sacrifice that you made. Thank you for being a real Savior. Thank you for being a God that we can come to, a Savior that we can feel your presence, God, and know that you're with us every single day. God, we're living in unprecedented times right now, Lord. We know that your time could perhaps be soon. And Lord, as we seek your will and your way in our lives, desiring to be pleasing to you, God, we do this in remembrance of you tonight, loving you, respecting you, seeking your will and your way, Lord Jesus. We pray that you continue to guide us and lead us. Lord, help me to be, God, an encouragement to the people of our church and our friends and family and all those that we encounter, Lord. Let us continue to remember every day of our lives, not just today, not just this once a year or twice a year, but every day, God, that we live the Passover moment, remembering you, believing and understanding your word, Lord God, knowing that you made this sacrifice for us, Jesus, and that we have the way that someday that we can be a part of the marriage supper of the lamb in jesus name in jesus name thank you for listening to this abundant life church podcast we pray it has strengthened your relationship with god and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven if you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.